Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. What follows is a bonus episode about the lives of the four women known as the Severan Julias. It's my contribution to the Great Women of History episode of the History Collage. You can find the History Collage podcast by going to www.historypodcasters.com. It really is great fun and well worth a listen. In the ancient world, women were generally regarded as second-class citizens. Ancient Rome was no different. It never had a female emperor. It had plenty of empresses, wives of emperors, but no woman ever ruled in her own right. The first actual female ruler of the empire was the disastrous Irene in the very late 700s AD, and by that time Rome was lost and the remaining lands had morphed into what we now call the Byzantine Empire. Nope, in ancient Rome, if a woman wanted to exercise power, then she had to do it from behind the scenes. Political influence could only be wielded with the agreement or through the manipulation of a male relative. The most famous of these behind-the-scenes power holders is Livia, wife of Augustus. In reality, though, her influence over the course of events at the highest level was limited. Augustus was really in charge. In the late 100s AD, though, a remarkable family of women from Emesa in Syria had real power. They presided over the last of the good years, the last of the times when Rome was the strongest and unchallenged ruler of the known world. Once they were gone, the rot set in, and the 50 years known as the Crisis of the 3rd Century changed the empire forever. Sometime around 180, a moderately powerful Roman general arrived in Syria and saw the woman who changed his life. She was the daughter of Bassianus, a hereditary high priest of the sun god Heliogabalus. The general was married at the time, and the girl was only 11 or 12 years old, but he cultivated his relationship with the family. He learned that there had been a prophecy that the girl would one day marry a king. The general was only middle-ranking, but he was ambitious, and he decided that being a king sounded like a great idea. The young girl grew up, and the general's wife conveniently died. The two were married in 187. Six years later, the prophecy came true. Her name was Julia Domna. His was Lucius Septimius Severus, and in 193 AD, he became emperor of Rome. Julia was given the title Augusta, the greatest honour an empress could receive. Their marriage was highly unusual among the powerful of the time. Severus respected his wife immensely and sought her opinion on matters of state. Better than that, he actually listened to her and she became his most important adviser. Despite the political machinations of Severus's Praetorian prefect Plautianus, she remained prominent and respected throughout his reign. Julia Domna was also a highly educated and intellectual woman. She had a deep interest in philosophy and learning, and many of the leading intellectuals of the day were in her inner circle. The famous lawyer, Ulpian, was a close confidant, as were the historian Cassius Dio and the philosopher Philostratus. While Severus got on with fighting wars, which is what interested him the most, Julia exercised governing power quietly but effectively and improved the lot of the learned men of the empire. She even managed to find time to give birth to two sons, known to history as Caracalla and Geda. When Severus died in 211, he urged his two sons to work together to rule the empire. Get on with each other, enrich the soldiers and scorn all other men, he famously advised them. Sadly, the two brothers hated each other and plans were laid to divide the empire between them. The chief opponent of this plan was their mother. 
And how do you intend to divide your mother's body between you? She asked. Julia Domna's influence was so great the plan was shelved. The joint rule, though, lasted less than a year before the two boys were at each other's throats. Julia tried to arrange a conference between them to thrash out their differences. It was not a great success. The meeting ended with a weeping Julia cradling the dead body of her younger son, killed by men loyal to the elder. Caracalla's men had been so violent in their slaying of Gedda they had even injured Julia as she tried to save him. Despite Gedda's death, Julia's commitment to the empire remained strong, and she continued to wield power during Caracalla's six-year reign, especially after he lost interest in ruling, becoming keener on cruelty. He was quite unsurprisingly assassinated in 217. The new emperor, Macrinus, sent Julia back to Emesa, where it is thought she committed suicide. And there it may have ended, except that there were more Julias from Syria, and they weren't too keen on giving up power. Julia Mesa was five years older than her sister, Julia Domna. By the time Caracalla was killed, she was a widow with two daughters, Julia Semais and Julia Mamia. Each daughter had a son. Julia Mesa began to spread rumours that the elder of her grandsons was actually the son of Caracalla. Macrinus was becoming unpopular, and his lowly birth didn't help. The Severan Julias worked tirelessly to bring people over to their side. When they were sure they had enough supporters, they entered the camp of a friendly legion and marched on Macrinus. His troops, unwilling to fight against the rightful ruling Severans, deserted him and changed sides. Julia Somais' 14-year-old son became the emperor Elagabalus. Julia Mamia's 10-year-old boy was renamed Alexander Severus and he was made Caesar and heir. Unfortunately, Elagabalus was a bit of a weirdo. He spent his time wearing makeup and women's clothes and shocking and irritating the Senate and the people in general. His short four-year reign was ended when the strange teenager was murdered in favour of his younger cousin. Julia Mesa had found Elagabalus uncontrollable and offensive and supported the young Alexander Severus instead. Elagabalus and his mother were killed in rioting. Julia Mesa died three years into the reign of her younger grandson, and the power behind the throne baton passed to Julia Mamia, Alexander's mother. Julia Mamia would have made a great emperor. She surrounded her son with wise advisers and taught him how to behave with dignity and wisdom. For a while, the last of the Julias was the de facto ruler of the Roman world, and she ruled it well. Unfortunately, the Parthian Empire on Rome's eastern border was experiencing a resurgence. When Alexander Severus was just 21, he had to go east and fight a war against their well-organised and powerful neighbours. Julia Mamia accompanied him everywhere, and while she pulled the strings of power, things went reasonably well. The soldiers, though, couldn't get used to this young, studious but inexperienced emperor who did what Mummy told him to do. Led by the huge, grizzled commander, Maximinius Thrax, they stormed the young man's tent and murdered the emperor and his mother. The Severan Julias held power and influence at the highest level in Rome for over 30 years. Given that they were both female and Syrian, this was a truly remarkable achievement. They didn't do everything right, and they didn't always back the correct horse. Their drive and tenacity, though, were unwavering. Had they been men, they may have founded a dynasty that stood the test of time and averted the disaster of the 3rd century crisis. Instead, Rome suffered for the folly of ignoring the talents of 50% of its population. If you've enjoyed this, then please pop along to www.mythandhistory.podbean.com 
where you'll find my other podcasts. If you do, and I hope you do, I'll speak to you then.